reading. It's from Colossians 3, verse 18 through 4, verse 6. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands, as it is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favour, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there is no favouritism. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly, clearly, as I should. Be wise in the way you acted toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. This is the word of the Lord. Continuing on and actually wrapping up today our series in Colossians, this letter that was written to this church in Colossae and Laodicea. They, they sort of switched their letters. Uh, we don't get to see all those letters, but that's what we know happens because he says, when you're done with this, send it on to them. And so we're wrapping up today. And we get to this place uh, where oftentimes we hear it and we go, hey, all right, I don't like that. <laughs> and that's okay. I'm going to tell you that's all right. It's okay to be challenged, to be skeptical, to be in a place of going, what is really going on here? That's all right. One of the things that I miss about Indy, Indianapolis, where we came from, there's not much that I miss, quite honestly, although the humidity is getting me to miss some cool weather right now. But one of the things that I miss that is there was this great museum called the Children's Museum. It was five stories, it was huge, and it was, they said, the largest children's museum in the world. I don't know if that's true. You know, we put a lot of things on things that aren't true, but nobody can check it out, and so it might have been the largest. But on this one floor that you would go into, there was this place that really dealt with construction and interactive. And so the great thing about this museum is it allowed kids and adults to be participatory in what was happening. And there was this great section that was all about building. And one of my favorite things to do was to build an arch. So you had all these blocks that were there, and you had the ability to put them in and build this arch that went up. And you would begin by trying to figure out what's the best way to build this arch to where you would get it so high that it would stay, it wouldn't crumble with each individual block. And if you began to start on one side, you would put the block down, and you would put the block down, and you would put the block down, and you would get to this point, and you would realize, I have done something wrong. Because I can't reach over 
to get so one you could get your children to work and hold things up and try and go over but inevitably what you would have to do is even yourself out you would have to put a block over here and a block over here and then you would stack another block on each one of those and another block on each one of those this passage is that way this passage says that if you come to this thinking I'm going to build this up this way, then you're going to miss out. Because it is a both and. It is a taking both sides leading to something. The other thing that's important is that you have to have the blocks in the right order in the right place. So if you were to take one block out and try and put a different block in there, it would cause your arch not to work. This passage is this way. But they have to be seen and represented in the right order, in the right way, in order for us to understand what Paul is trying to do here. Now, as we dive into it, I want to show you what the foundations are for this arch of living in peace is. It starts above this passage where he says this. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing. Oh, I'm sorry, the verse above. It says, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body to be thankful. That's block number one over here. Recognizing that if I am to live in my personhood in Christ, that Christ has called me and changed me and transformed me, that my primary identity, is in Jesus and Jesus alone, not some secondary thing. Just go up a little bit further. Here they are no longer circumcised or uncircumcised, Greek, Jew, uh, Scythian, barbarian, slave, free, but in Christ. We are all in Christ. So we live in peace. That's block number one over here. But a little bit later in this passage, after he has these pithy little things that we trip up over, he says towards the end in verse in chapter 4, walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. That block fits over here. That, that's the second block that we put down, and, and we put those down together. And in between those two blocks, we're going to see these statements that Paul makes, and they're going to come up to the center of what it's like to live in peace. You see, because what's happening here is Paul is not saying anything new. However, he's saying it in a very new way. Throughout all of the society that they were living in at this time and place, there were household codes that were all around there were places in that area where household codes, the way that a household should run, was being espoused. Aristotle has some. Seneca has some. Philo has some. And there are certain ways that those Roman and Greek households were supposed to operate. And so these men and other people would put those out there for them to do. And so here Paul is saying, you are in Christ." However, you still live in this world. And so I don't want to make you look so different and weird and out there that nobody will listen to you. That they will put you off as a crowd. Just think to yourself, if you happen to be on Facebook, over the last year, there have been probably times where you thought, I need to unfollow. 
I still love them. But whatever is being said on their Facebook post, I need to unfollow them. What Paul is saying here is be wise in how you engage with the world. And so I'm going to take what is in the world, these household codes, I'm not going to say abolish them all, because that would be too out there, and people would just unfollow. They would mute and say, maybe I'll come back to you someday, but right now you're just absolutely crazy. So there's no reason for me to do this. And he says, be wise with how you interact. And so he's going to go, I'm going to take the household codes that are there. Household, man, that is a hard word for me. I'm going to take it, and I'm going to bring something new to it. The second thing we need to say as we dive into this is that we know that all Scripture is God-breathed. That it is good to bring us up into the faith that we walk in. And so as we delve into the Word of God, we know there are universal, always and forever, truths that challenge us to move into the righteousness that Christ has bought for us on the cross. At the same time, we know that these are written letters at a specific time, in a specific place, to specific people. And so that there are cultural things that happen, that influence, and that come about, and we get seen in. And so as we enter into these two blocks that we're starting off with, we know that the universal, right? We know that the truth is that we are in Christ, that our identity rests in him completely. And we know that the cultural is that every culture around the world has a way that they think households should operate. I'm just going to start saying houses, by the way. This is really going to trip me up. How houses should operate. So be wise in how you go towards them. So as we engage with this, we can't come at it and we can't overemphasize something. And we can't ignore something that is present. When we hear something we like or we dislike within Scripture, we tend to either proof text it, that's emphasizing it, that's saying, see, see what it says? This is what it says, and this is what it means, and that's why you should do this. Or we ignore it. And we say, oh, that can't possibly be what it means. It's only cultural. There's not anything universal and forever that I can find in it. So I don't have to pay attention to it at all. I'll just skip over it. Now, to be fair, Paul didn't help us out here because he said these things very shortly, <laughs> very short sentences. It's not like he said, Wives, submit to your husbands, and this is all the ways that you should do this. Husbands, love your wives, and this is all the ways you should do this. He just says, wives, submit to your husbands as a city to the Lord. Any more would have been helpful because we can hear that and we begin to bring other things to it. C.S. Lewis, when he's talking about this idea of the house and the code that goes around with, with it and how we operate in it, he says this, if a house is to be the means of grace, it must be a place of rules or order 
The alternative to rule is not freedom, but the unconstitutional and often unconscious tyranny of the most selfish member. When we don't, in society, have ways that we are supposed to operate, rules and order that we're supposed to walk in, roles that we are supposed to carry, and we just say, it's all laissez-faire, it's fine, however it needs to happen, it needs to happen. What can happen, and particularly in a house, is that the person who is most selfish reigns with tyranny over everyone else. And so the world said, we need to be wise in how we interact with one another. And God says, through Paul, you are in Christ. So let's be wise and let's rest in Christ. So, if we're thinking about building an arch, we have to look at it this way. The first one is wives. Submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh to them. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, we've got the second box that are down. If one is missing, then the other one will not work. If one is overemphasized or larger, then our arch will be lopsided. And so what Paul is saying here is that this works this way. Wives, submit to your husbands. As is fitting to the Lord, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. And they rest there. Now, one of the things that Paul very quickly is subverting about the world's way of looking at how to run houses is that he is giving agency to those who are not used and have never been given agency before. See, when the household rules were being written by all these other people in the, in the world, that they would look at them and they would say, this is how a man should operate. And everybody else that's in the house, because the man is the head of the house, everyone else has to obey and follow him. He rules. And he can rule however he chooses because he's the head. And oftentimes in these rules, they would not even address the wives, the children's children or the slaves. They would just leave them be. And if they did, it would always be make sure that you're doing everything that you need to do to support this person. Paul very quickly here turns that on the head. Because he says, wives. He, in fact, in each case, addresses those who in society have no agency, and he gives them agency by addressing them first. Not in a way of saying, you need to get this right, but in a way of saying, you are so important and valuable that in the universal truth that you are in Christ, you have agency. You have the ability to express who you are. More than that, who God made you to be. And so he says, wives, submit to your husbands. Now that word submit, oftentimes when we hear it, it's kind of like uh, 
tomato and tomato, right? Some of us have one understanding of saying it, and some of us have another understanding of saying it. When we hear that word submit, we will sometimes go, oh, I like that word. Or we'll go, ooh, I don't like that word at all. It doesn't ring true to my ears. Interestingly enough, the word here is written in such a way that it has nothing to do with the person that is being submitted to. Yet everything to do with the person who is submitted. It is empowering them to say, I will choose to place myself under this person and their guidance. So it becomes the wife's role to say, I'm going to choose to do this. Not taking away their agency, not saying you have to do this, this is the only way a house can operate, but saying you're going to move in this place. Yet at the same time, right, the block over here is saying, husbands, you better love your wives. That word is agape. That is the self-sacrificial love of God. The way that Paul puts it in Ephesians is this. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself as an offering. And do not be harsh with her. In society, right, in that box, in society, men walked around and were harsh. In today's society, men will take this verse and overemphasize it and use it to be harsh. Their arch is falling down. But it's that understanding that they are reciprocal. That it's not about position, but it is about relationship that is working here, moving towards one another. So what this is saying is it forbids both spouses of having attitudes and words and behaviors that are self-centered, harsh, critical, and demeaning. The wife will submit to her husband as the husband lays aside his own interest in sacrificial love for his wife. Kathy Keller in her book with her husband, The Meaning of Marriage, says this. Both men and women get to play the Jesus role in marriage. Jesus in his sacrificial authority and Jesus in his sacrificial submission. Christian marriage is like a dance. The man and the woman may take slightly different steps, but each consistently defer to the other. We move in these roles towards one another, understanding from the foundation that that role doesn't even define me completely. It is actually my living in Christ that defines me. Then we see him move to children and parents. And again, he says this, children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. And then he says, fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Again, parents obey, or children obey your parents. Fathers, do not discourage 
harass, right? Provoke your children. The father's role, along with the mother, they are both present in a household, working together, is to encourage their children to flourish. As a, as a, as a dad, who oftentimes gets upset at the smallest things. My ability to provoke my children and discourage them is high. Some of you, I've told a story of how I lost my cool a couple of weeks ago. I'm not going to share that here because it's really too embarrassing. Needless to say, I injured myself in my anger. How did that build up my children or my wife? How did that show them who they are in the foundation of Christ while walking wisely in the code of the world? It did absolutely nothing. If anything, it discouraged them from moving into the place that God had called them to be. Because as much as I don't want to think this, and I want to belittle myself? <laughs> Not true. I like to sit on my throne and I like to say I'm the most important person in your life. What I do and how I love shows a picture of how Christ loves them. And how sad it is for them to see a picture of an unsacrificial love and an unsacrificial authority. And so it builds up saying, yes, obey your parents. Dads, don't crush your children. Then we move to this third set of blocks, which is about slaves and masters. And of course, in our modern era, we understand that slavery is bad. It still happens, by the way. We recognize that that should not be anywhere near Christendom. And we ask ourselves, why is it Paul saying get rid of it altogether? Well, we know that he's walking wisely in the culture that it is, but he's going to subvert it. Again, notice, he says to the one who has no agency, slave. This is how you should live. Bondservant, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. And, and by no ways through eye service or people pleasing, but with sincerity of heart. Whatever you do, work heartily. And then he says to the masters, treat them fairly and justly, knowing that you have a master in heaven. There's again this place of saying, if one is larger than the other, if one is out of place and taken away, then the arch is broken, and it doesn't work. But he's saying to them, you must operate in this way, in this context, holding on to the universal truth that you are in Christ alone, that there is no difference between you, and you are equal members of the body of Christ. Interestingly, in this particular book, in Colossians, Paul, when he's talking about these house rules spends an extra portion of time talking about masters and slaves. And Ephesians, not this much. Actually, it's more about husbands and wives there. 
Now, we're not going to go into the final readings of this passage, but I'm going to jump down there just a little bit. It says this. He, he's saying, I'm, I'm sending my beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant of the Lord. I've sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are doing and that you may be encouraged to part. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you everything that is being taken place. So Paul is sending this letter with two men and sending them out. One of those men is Onesimus. Onesimus is a slave who was a slave of Philemon, who they had had a falling out. There had been bad blood between them. And we have a whole letter to Philemon, this very personal letter, where Paul is saying to him, I'm sending you Onesimus, and I want you to love him and forgive him and bring him back as the brother he should be. He's not telling Onesimus to stop being a bondservant, but he's saying, I want you to know you need to love him. <laughs> and then he, he puts a caveat on it and says, think of all that I've done for you. <laughs> right? I need you to do this. Onesimus is carrying his letter and carrying this letter. Do you think that maybe there was an issue within the new house churches and the body of Christ at large in Colossae and Laodicea that was building up where people were like, yeah, husband and wife, we get along. Yeah, within our household, parents and children, we get along. Slaves, we're glad you came to Jesus, but you're worthless. Do you think that maybe Paul needed to expand that a little bit more to give a better understanding of what the universal truth, the real truth of who they were in Christ should reign supreme in that church? Probably so. And so he spends a little extra time here saying this is the way it should go. This is the way it should be. What we see happening is Paul addressing being wise for the culture, holding on to the universal truth of who we are in Christ. These members of the household, because in those households, slaves and masters, all were together. Children, sometimes small children, sometimes adult children, all were together. Husbands and wives were together. That was the makeup of that household. And what we see here is he's addressing Christian believers in their assigned roles in their cultural context. But he is radically redefining the way they fill those roles by setting them in the light of the supreme lordship of Jesus Christ. Richard Hayes in his um, commentary on this says this, the conventional authority structures of the ancient household are thereby subverted even while they are left in place. Thus, those under authority can turn their submission and obedience into worship by doing it for the true Lord, while those in position of authority are urged to practice love, patience, justice, and fairness, remembering that they themselves also have a master or Lord, namely the exalted Jesus Christ. So Paul is building an arch of what it looks like to walk in peace. And he says, here's the foundation that you are 100% in Christ. That is your number one identity. And we need to be wise with how we interact with the world, that we need to be loving and season our conversation with Saul. 
And then he says, this is how you act as a husband and wife. This is how you roll as a parent and a child. This is how you walk as a master and a servant. The beautiful thing about an arch is this. If you get those pieces right, they would still come tumbling down. Because you need the capstone. This one rock that is not like any of the other rocks. This one rock, which does not have an equal on either side. This one rock that as you evenly build up in a reciprocal, dare I say, submitting relationship with one another. That then Christ, the capstone, fits in and the arch is solid and cannot be moved. Now today we use mortar and we use joists and we use all sorts of things. But if you go to Italy and you walk through Rome, then you will find arches that have been built with none of those things that over time and place have stayed still and solid because the capstone was put in place perfectly. And we are reminded here that this is done through Christ being put in the center. In all of who we are and in all of our relationships, when he is the capstone, he holds all these things so solidly that they cannot be shaken. Yet we will attempt to expand our own stone. We will attempt to minimize what we desire in the other. As we walk in relationships with one another, those of us who are in Christ, we should always be calling each other not to be better, but to be holy the way that God has made us to be and called us to be. And that is to walk with love and patience and justice and fairness to one another. Thus, giving us all the ability to mutually submit to one another, as Ephesians says, out of reverence. That we remember that there is no one higher than us. There is no one lower than us. But that in Christ we are made equal because we rest in Christ alone. And now in the roles that we have within our households and within the culture that we live, how those households are being defined, that doesn't ultimately matter. What matters is that we are pushing towards Christ. And what he has called us to. And he will rest as the cornerstone. Holding us solidly in his steadfast love. Now, if we're able to walk that way. Then this bottom stone over here. That has to do with walking wisely with those who are around us. We will have the ability to be a sweet aroma of life to them. To invite them in to discover who they have been created to be. We will have opportunities to speak to them, as Paul says. Yet, the universal truth that that one is built on is that we must be in communication with God. We must be praying because you and I know, oh, maybe it's just me. I have a difficult time doing this. So to seek God, 
to speak to him, enabling myself to move my eyes off my own heart and onto the glory of God gives me and you the ability to walk the empowered, spirit-filled life. Resting in God, the cornerstone. And so, we are who God made us to be. Let me pray. Father God, in all that we do, let us bring you glory and honor and praise. Let us trust in you and who you are, recognizing that in our roles, whatever they are, and however we define them, that in those places, ultimately, it is about serving you and serving others. God, let us bring glory to you. If there's anything that I've said today that is not of you, let it burn up, let it, let it fly away, let it be nothing. But if something is, let it take root in our hearts so that it will bring glory to you and enable us to do the good works that you have laid out before the foundation of the world. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Let's stand.